told that before the game. I thought the atmosphere was incredible. It reminded me of a you know a playoff or a, a, a conference championship type atmosphere because it just felt that way. It was electric uh, at the hotel, the drive-in. It was it was special. I mean, to me, you could say it was a lot like an SEC football game, but it wasn't like one last year because none of them were quite like that. Coach, what I'm hearing from you is it just sounds like UCLA was tougher tonight. I'm not saying that. I basically said that we'd uh, we tried every way uh, known to man to lose it. Just for fun, let's try something different. Let's go ahead and do our job. Let's go ahead and make it look like Wednesday's practice because we've got nothing to lose. So it was good to go through adversity and same defensively. Like I said, eh, well, not really. That just pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. You've seen his hair? <laughs> if you're going to wear hair like that, you better be a player. So, yeah, I kind of expected it. Yeah, the quarterback controversy. I would never ask myself that because I coach the quarterbacks I'm a bunch. I'm, you know, um, they're not very controversial guys. They're both really nice guys. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? That sounds like a beer that's ready mm. to make some money. How about it, Shane? <laughs> Week two picks coming up. We got two guests on the show, John Neighbors. Works for the Buzz 103.7 out of the state mm -hmm. of Arkansas. Going to talk about this Arkansas-Texas game. And Nate Edwards of Rock M Nation, as promised, going to preview this uh, Kentucky-Missouri matchup from the Missouri side. So, man, a loaded show. How you doing, brother? Dude, I am fantastic. And like you said, ready to make some money. Because uh, first week... I mean, it's unusual Shane goes 1-0, and but <laughs> as Arkansas was failing me, I made a second bet to the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. Ended up winning both of them. So going into week three, 2-0, I will take it. All right. Well, hey, Shane, before we get to our picks, we're going to get to it in just a second here. Don't forget, uh, sponsored by Prize Picks, the daily fantasy sports that allows you to college football players this season Shane mm -hmm. and uh, you know the couple of guys caught my eye I just wanted to throw these out I don't know if you had any but uh, head on over to prizepicks.com and use that promo code SEC simple enough they give you a hundred percent deposit bonus up to a hundred dollars and man two guys that I'm loving Will Rogers Mississippi State quarterback over the line is two passing touchdowns, so he's got to get three. But mm -hmm. we all know the Pirate loves to throw the ball all across <laughs> the yard. So I'm loving Will Rogers in the over. And then how about this? I think you're really going to like this one, Shane. Texas quarterback Hudson Card. Uh-oh. Over, <laughs> over half an interception. He's throwing at least <laughs> one interception. You know, he's they're probably going to – Catalan's probably going to get him two more interceptions this week. What are your thoughts on that? 
Oh, I like that, Mike. Doubling down on the Arkansas game. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so head on over to prizepicks.com using that promo code SEC. Get you some money there betting on Will Rogers <laughs> and Hudson Card this weekend. All right, Shane, but as promised, we're going to get into the action here. You <laughs> ready to make some week two SEC picks? Let's do it. Gambling? Who's anything about gambling? It's not gambling when you know you're going to win. Not only am I picking Toledo to cover, I'm picking Toledo to win outright. I can't kick your ass, BRG, say that. <laughs> that, that well, he kicked my ass regardless. <laughs> exactly. Like They're going to beat the brakes off Miami. You watch it. Mike, if Florida wins this damn game, I will sing the fight song Monday. <laughs> 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 it ain't happening, brother. Yeah, orange and blue. Waving forever, forever pride, old Florida, may she droop. Here. I, I forgot to hit record, so you got to do that again. Are you shitting me? No, I'm recording it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shane, starting here with a game very few people will probably be watching for many reasons here, Shane. No disrespect, but Vanderbilt on the road at Colorado State. And the reason I say no one will be watching, Shane, this bad boy kicks off at 10 p.m. Eastern time on CBS Mm -hmm. Sports Network. They're hiding this damn game. The Rams favored by six and a half after getting destroyed week one. Who do you like in this matchup? Well, Mike, that was a tough game to watch last week. In fact, it was so tough, I I couldn't even make it through the highlights of that one. (laughs) Uh, But I'm looking for Vanderbilt to get back on track. Um I think when you break it down, they just made a lot of boneheaded mistakes, which you expect game one, but I was I was under the impression that Vanderbilt was ready. I, I know that sounds crazy, but I, I thought we had two arguably the be, uh, better quarterbacks in the SEC. That was the, that was what I'm hearing in fall camp, and then all of a sudden come out and we're not getting that play. I expect they right the wrong this week, Mike. Um, and it's way down here, but it's a seven – is it a seven-point – Six and a half is what I got it as right now. Six and a half. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter because Colorado State is not even going to win that game. They went all the way up. Vanderbilt, I think this is what they need, just a little. Kind of like what you were talking with LSU, but uh, hopefully they f- <laughs> followed through. Mm-hmm. Just get away, bring the team together. They come out, they play solid fundamental football. I got Vanderbilt getting their first victory of the year, 20, Colorado State, 17. Oh, man, do I love that pick, Shane. And, yeah, it's certainly rock bottom for the Commodores last week, losing to ETSU. But uh, I did go back and watch that game, Shane. And, yeah, just mistake after mistake after Mm -hmm. mistake for the Commodores. Uh, You know, they were not – obviously not – uh, you know, hitting the gear they needed to hit. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it it seemed like it was a damn Super Bowl for ETSU. Uh, and I just think that, uh, you know, they had it, they threw out everything they had for this one. And I don't feel very confident about this selection, Shane, but I'm right there with you. I think Vanderbilt is tired of being mocked all week long. I got them winning outright against a team that just got destroyed by uh, last week in Colorado State. So I'm going Vanderbilt 20, Colorado State. I'm not going 17, Shane. 18. How about that? They're, they're going to get a safety in there somewhere. 
did you just change that? <laughs> no, I swear I had it. Uh, twenty eighteen. Oh, okay. They're gonna win by. They're gonna win last second field goal. I think. Twenty eighteen, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Safety or something. <laughs> oh, okay, let's go with it. All right, Shane, getting into the uh, big matchups here in the SEC. So many great games here, but one I cannot wait to watch, South Carolina hitting the road for East Carolina. This is going to be a noon Eastern game, 11 o'clock Central on ESPN2. And this line, Shane, has jumped all, you know, South Carolina was favored at the opening. Then it quickly Mm -hmm. shifted to ECU. Now it's all the way back to the Gamecocks. Gamecocks favored by a point and a half Going on the road. Who do you like in this matchup? Oh, Mike, you know what I love most about this game is I can go ahead and get my lockout. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, you, you talked about earlier uh, ETSU making this a uh, uh, championship game. I think that's what Carolina's trying to do. I think Eastern Carolina is going to, you know, they, they got a team full of players that just didn't get the opportunity to play in the SEC. And mm. I think that's why they take these type of games more personal. Now, that's that's a factor. Playing at noon's a factor. But the biggest factor for me, Mike, is, is the running back room of South Carolina. I mean, come on, baby. Now, just hand the ball. Like I was telling you earlier, it doesn't matter who's at quarterback. You can put the water boy back there. But my boy Harris is back. You got the Lloyd back. I'm telling you, it's just – just hand the ball over. They're going to end up winning this game. But I think one thing that a lot of people aren't talking about, especially last week, and I know it was a cupcake game, but just how impressive this defense was. If they can continue that in the next week uh, or this week with Eastern Carolina, I just Mm -hmm. don't see them having a ball game. So that being said, I'm going to go ahead and lock this one down, Mike. South Carolina, 28 East Carolina, 14. Oh, man, a two-touchdown two win on the road for the Gamecocks. Absolutely. They'd be sky high. Hell, they might even gave Shane Beamer an extension after this one if that were to happen. By, Mike, I think that's the thing, was the fact that this came out as being underdogs. Beamer mm-hmm. hasn't used this. I guarantee that the fact that this thing's flipped, he hasn't told one player on the staff. They said they got him an <laughs> eight-point underdog now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like a lot of what you had to say, Shane. I was honestly very impressed with uh, East Carolina when I went and watched their week one game. I know they they lost to Appy State, but I guess I should say I, I was impressed with their offense. So I think ECU is going to have some success against uh, South Carolina. I really do. Now, the flip side, East Carolina's defense is horrible. So I think South Carolina will have just as much and more success on that side of the ball, and we don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. Is it going to be Zeb Nolan? Will it be Luke Doty? It certainly sounds like Luke Doty may be back for this one, and if he is, that'll be huge. If not, I think we've seen enough from Zeb Nolan to know that uh, he can engineer this offense, and it, it's not he's not a liability uh, back there for yeah. the Gamecocks. So, yeah, I think it's a high-scoring game, but I'm right there with you, Shane. South Carolina <laughs> – 35, East Carolina, 34, Honda Morristown (laughs) special, baby. But that does mean that East Carolina covers the spread. But all uh, Gamecock fans care about is winning the damn game. And I got the Gamecocks winning this one. All right, Shane. A little early for the Honda one. (laughs) All right, next up, Shane, Florida. It's so weird to see some of these SEC teams hitting the road for some of these games, but the Gators traveling to South Florida, 
This is mm-hmm. a 1 p.m. Eastern time kick on ABC nationally televised. The Gators mm-hmm. favored by four touchdowns, 28-point spread. Who do you like in this matchup? Mike, I don't know shit about South Florida, and I don't need to, you know. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. I do know that the Florida Gators looked a little sloppy first half of the game last week. I think they get that right. I think they get the quarterback situation figured out at the end of this game. And in doing so, I think it's a – I don't think it's a – I don't think it's a ball game at all, Mike. Give mm. me Florida Gators 45, South Florida 10. Uh, do you think the quarterback race gets settled up sooner than later? Not in this one, Shane, because uh, like you said, Florida should dominate it, which uh, is naturally going to lead to Anthony Richardson. Prob- he'll probably play more in this game he's ever played in his life uh, mm-hmm. in Gainesville. You know, So it may complicate it. Now, um, if he comes out and struggles, which – Certainly, I don't think that's going to happen against South Florida. Uh, that's another team that uh, watched their week one game against NC State. They just got destroyed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if they got destroyed by NC State, Lord help them against uh, the Florida Gators. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> the fact that it's at South Florida. This is a real treat for those. What are they? I think they're the Bulls down there. I mean, they the should. Bulls. Yeah, they should savor every moment leading up to kickoff before they get their <laughs> ass kicked. Forty-two <laughs> to ten. I'm right there with you, Shane. Florida wins and they cover the twenty-eight point spread. I think, uh, I think Florida plays a lot more complete of a game here, week two of the season. I like it. All right, now here's an interesting one here, Shane. UAB at Georgia. Georgia's a twenty. Four point favor. That's come down a little bit here with recent news. 3.30 Eastern on ESPN2. And it sounds like JT Daniels, I don't know. No one's really saying whether he's in or out, but he's certainly banged up. So I don't even know if JT Daniels is going to play in this game. Makes it tougher mm-hmm. to, to pick against the spread. Who do you like in this matchup? I like Zeus against all of them, Mike, because that's what they're going to get a heavy dose of. I I, I just think that – and that's what kind of scares me on betting on this game is I I think we go back to that conservative Georgia play, which we got to see a lot of in Clemson. Mm -hmm. But I don't expect a lot of downfield passing in this one. I expect a heavy dose of Zeus early and then uh, just figuring out what we got in the backfield. So – with that being said, I got Georgia winning the game, 35, UAB 7. So, I still got them covering the spread, but I am not confident at all with that one. Yeah, that's interesting, Shane, because if it, it is Carson Beck time, you know, this is a guy that Dan Mullen wanted. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. he's a really good quarterback. But I've been shaking my head, Shane. At, uh, all, I've seen a – you know, it's not all the – you can't paint the entire fan base, but many of them right. excited for Carson Beck to – to play big and maybe steal the job away from JT Daniels. And like I said, I'm shaking my head because how many times are we going to go through this with uh, Georgia quarterbacks and hype? I mean, remember, we can go back to Jake Eason. Uh, We can go Jake Fromm, although he was pretty good. He regressed uh, just last season. Juan Mathis, Jamie Newman. I mean, on and on and on. Now you finally got a quarterback. You're ready to see his ass uh, not, you know, retain the job after beating a top five team. Oh my God. So yeah, I, I think I like what, what you said. I don't know if JT Daniels is going to play in this game. I don't think they need him in this game. So considering that, I don't think he will play. And I certainly think, uh, I think UAB maybe 
a lot of people nationally don't give them enough credit. They're a really solid team, a, a defensive-minded team. So I don't think Georgia's going to score near as many as you do, Shane. I think Georgia wins comfortably, but I like UAB in the points, Shane. So I'm going Georgia 28, UAB 7. Mm-hmm. Okay. Probably just changed it again because you didn't want to match my score. But. <laughs> now, how about this is an interesting one here, Shane. Texas A&M versus Colorado. You know, it's technically a neutral field, but it's in Denver. So, you got to imagine. Mm-hmm. I imagine there's going to be a lot of Aggies, but still slight home field advantage for Colorado. Aggies favored by 16 and a half points. The game's at 3.30 Eastern, nationally televised by Fox. Who do you like in this matchup? Yeah, Fox is going to regret this at halftime, Mike, <laughs> because half the people ain't watching anymore. I, you know, Texas A&M, I gave them a hard time for the way they started last week, but once once they got going, I mean, you 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 realized real quick that this is a national championship contender, and you're going to get to see that on national TV yet again. I expect this to be an early upset. Like, uh, I, I, like I said, wouldn't surprise me if it's 35 nothing at half. And it's one of those games that uh, Colorado kind of creeps back in on the back end. So, that being said, not a ball game here. I'm not getting sidetracked with the location. Texas A&M, 38. I still have them covering the spread, but barely against Colorado, 14. Ooh. I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one, Shane. (laughs) That elevation – and it'll get you. <laughs> Remember the last time we talked about it, Shay? We were laughing, oh, laughing, and laughing. Missouri going on the road against Wyoming. What a yeah. ass kicking that was going to be. Well, it went the other way, and Wyoming pulled the upset. I, I think that potentially is a factor. I think uh, you know Hayes King on his first time on the road as a starting quarterback. I'm interested to see how that goes. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm under no illusion that uh, Texas A&M is going to lose this game, but. I think Colorado's pretty solid. I mean, their their coach won Pac-12 Coach of the Year last season. They started 4-0 this year. I, they they played some cupcake week one and beat the hell out of them. I think Colorado's a little bit better mm-hmm. than, you, than you're giving them credit for, Shane. So I think this is a sneaky good game, and I think there's a reason Fox picked this nationally televised. I'm going Texas A&M 28, Colorado 17. I like the buffs and the points in this one. Jeez. Well, you're wrong, but <laughs> I guess that's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, I just – I don't know, man. I, I I just truly think Texas A&M just – they – I think they take what they did positive in the second half. They just continue on here uh, in Colorado. Not a game, mm-hmm. in my opinion. All right, Shane, how about uh, – I've been waiting, holding this one in my back pocket, but we got to get to it. Pitt <sighs> at Tennessee, noon Eastern time. On ESPN, Pitt favorite. Man, the spread keeps getting bigger and bigger. Pitt favorite by three and a half points. Who do you mm. like in this one? Well, Mike, you know, this this game's near and dear to my heart, mainly because of Johnny Majors. Uh, and that's what this thing's portrayed. You've got to remember Johnny won a national championship with Pitt. Then he came down to Tennessee. And, you know, that's when I fell in love with the balls was at the tail end of his career. And, uh, in fact, I got a picture of me and my grandfather and uh, my brother. We met him at an orange and white game and uh, took time to talk to us. And, uh, you know, that's just who he was. And one of the popular quotes I saw coming out this week was, you know, Johnny, 
Johnny loved Pitt or something. I can't exactly remember. I remember it was uh, Pitt was family. Tennessee yeah. was blood. Hey, come on now. So Johnny loved the area, and I loved Johnny. And this one's this is going to be a tough game, Mike, because I, I I realize you know Pitt's a, Pitt's a pretty good opponent, but we got to have this, Mike. Let's get down to football. We got to have this. We got to build off of last week. Well, um, hey, before you make your pick, should we play this yeah. uh, Johnny Majors tribute? Hell yeah, we should. And I came to Tennessee as a sophomore in high school. First time I saw him play in 1950. My mother took my dad and me out before daylight. And we caught the Greyhound or Trailway bus, one or the other, there before daylight. And we took the express bus. And I never forget, they let us out at Ellis and Ernest Drugstore. Right on the stadium drive, my dad and I walked down, cold day, walked down to the stadium, and on the way down, we heard the crowd roar. Tennessee Stadium was big and impressive, and uh, I wanted to play big-time football, but I didn't think I could. The next day, Farmer Johnson took my dad and me in to, to meet the general. Farmer Johnson introduced my dad, this is Coach Shirley Majors, his son John, and we were recruiting. The general says, how much do you weigh? And before I could say 155, which is about five pounds, Farmer Johnson said, 170, General. I never really thought I could play big time football, but I knew I, I, knew I was gonna give it a try. I had nightmares in the summer about, about coming to Tennessee. And my main objective at Tennessee I didn't know whether I could stay alive or not, but I thought they'd kill me up here. First, I didn't think I'd survive the first scrimmage. And I was very, very anxious, I'd say scared, pretty well frightened, but I had to show up. I got banged around. I don't know how much, how many times, and how many people gang tackled me, but I, then I, I made about a seven or eight yard run, and one or two people missed me, you know, breaking up field, running for my life, but I kept it against the varsity. I made one about 25 yards. I didn't make a touchdown, a long touchdown that day. When I made this 20 yard, five yard run or so, and about four or five people missed me, General always set about 15 rows high in the west stands, and he, most time he didn't have his shirt on in early fall. He had his army khaki shorts, and he wore his coaching hat, and he always had his, he always had his stopwatch. When I made that one run, he yelled from the stadium, Who's number 15? Farmer Johnson, the defensive line coach. That's Majors from Huntland, General. Well, when the practice was over, I was pretty sore and I, I got dressed. I went to Ellis and Ernest Drugstore. They had a payphone in the drugstore. Went up there and called Collect. I didn't have 45 cents to make a long distance call. Call Collect and my dad answered the phone. That, that, that kind of gets me emotional too, but I said, Daddy, they missed tackles in college just like they did in high school. I was thrilled to death that they missed me. I was thrilled to be living. All right. I got, that, man, that's, I'm telling you, man, that gets to me. I, I, it's yeah. near and dear. So that being said, Mike, I, I can't pull against my boys. You know, <laughs> I'm going to Morristown Honda dealership this thing myself, <laughs> and I got Tennessee winning 28, Pittsburgh 24. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think uh, the fact that 
we're used to playing at noon is going to come in advantage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I could certainly see that happening, Shane. And, uh, you know, how weird is it that uh, I can't recall, you know, a situation quite like this where Tennessee's got a new coach, yet he's faced uh, this non-conference opponent two years back-to-back being at uh, UCF. Uh, they split – uh, of course, those games, UCF and Pitt. So third year in a mm-hmm. row, Josh Heupel and Pat Narduzzi going head-to-head on the football field. Uh, you know, this this could go many a different way, Shane, but uh, I think Pitt having just the advantage of, you know, they know what they got at the quarterback position. They love that mm-hmm. guy. He's going to leave as the all-time leading passer. Uh, Pat Narduzzi has got a full complement of his players uh, to work with there where Josh Heupel is, you know, it's still – mixing and matching pieces and Mm -hmm. there was a lot to like in Bowling Green there was a lot not to like in that Bowling Green game and I think this one is going to be very very close this three and a half point margin or or the spread margin I don't like that particularly on the road so I like Tennessee Shane to cover Mm -hmm. the spread but I like Pitt to win I'm going Pitt 33 Tennessee 30 I love it. I love gambling, man. You know, it's just so fun. <laughs> All right, next, speaking of gambling, we got uh, the gambling man here, NC State on the road at Mississippi State and that Pirate, who's uh, the game kicks off 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN2. And the Wolfpack, Shane, again, another mm-hmm. SEC underdog at home. Wolfpack favored by two. Who do you like in this one? Mississippi State because I hate NC State. I, I just hate that whole conference, man. I, don't get me wrong. When I'm listening to uh, Kurt Herbstreit talk about 15 minutes of, well, they still got to face – talk about Clemson having to face the, the powerhouse <laughs> North Carolina State coming off a – did they come off a victory? Oh, good for them. Yeah, they, they got one. They destroyed so. South Florida. Okay, very good. Well, Mississippi (laughs) State's going to destroy them and their confidence going into that game, mainly because I think what what we saw last week in that comeback, that comeback win, I I think you saw this team gel and and things start moving and they realize how good they are. Now, again, I don't think that was – I think that was an inferior opponent last week, but I think they carry that over to uh, North Carolina State here. What helps is this game is at home, buddy. And I, I'm telling you, man, get them cowbells out if you've got a chance. This is going to be a 7 o'clock kickoff. So this this place will be jumping. And North Carolina State hasn't seen fans. That I mean, some of these kids on this roster, the, they haven't seen more than 10,000 fans at a high school game. You know what I'm saying? So they're mm-hmm. going to be shell-shocked when they hear them cowbells ringing. And they're, they're going to have nightmares after this thing. So give me Mississippi State 31, North Carolina State, Wolfpack 21. Ooh, a 10-point victory. I like that, Shade. Yep. And I think it's going to be a little bit more high-scoring than you. I think these uh, – I know Mississippi State's got a really good defense, but uh, I was a little uh, disturbed that Louisiana Tech was hitting so many big plays on them. Now, if they can solve that, you know, they were pretty outstanding in, in the uh, mm-hmm. opening game there. So, let's hope they get that corrected against NC State. Uh, but I think certainly if we get the Mississippi State that we got to start – and finish that uh, Louisiana Tech game, you may be dead on there. They may whoop NC State. I think mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're going to get a little bit more like we had last week, a little back-and-forth action. 
going to come down to the wire, but I'm right there with you. Give me the home underdogs, Mississippi State 38, NC State 35. Mm. All right, Chad, big games here in the evening in the SEC, Texas at Arkansas, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. Them Texas Longhorns, man, the spread just keeps getting bigger and bigger, favored <laughs> by seven and a half. And before you make your pick, Shane, let's mm-hmm. kick it over to our interview with John Neighbors of 103.7 The Buzz. All right, so we're uh, once again joined by John Neighbors, the host of the outstanding show, The Out of Bounds, on 103.7 The Buzz. He's also host of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. You can follow him at Buzz John Neighbors. John, I really appreciate you. Yeah, it's good to be on with you, man. How's everything going? Oh, man, it's going great so far. Week one was fantastic, but we did have a lot of cupcakes on the schedule. Now we're getting into uh, the games we've all been dying to see. And, And the one at the top of my list, I know it's on top of yours as well. Texas coming into Fayetteville. Just how excited is uh, this entire state for this game after not even months and months, but really years and years of anticipation? Yeah, it's funny because I said this on my show yesterday that in the state of Arkansas, you have the Razorbacks and that's it. I think most people know that there's no pro teams. There's no other big time colleges. It's the Razorbacks. And so the biggest sport of the Razorbacks, of course, of course, with excitement and everything, is football like they love all the sports but football is still the big dog just like it is at all ever at other sec schools so when you have razorback football the number one thing in the state going up against a big time opponent like texas at home in fayetteville an old rival it's just this is the biggest event of the year i I don't i'm not saying that lightly in the state of arkansas this is the biggest event of this year and might even be one of the biggest events that happens over the next few years depending on how things go because this is it. This is what people have been waiting on. And so the energy, the excitement is at an all-time high. I don't think there's anybody in the state of Arkansas, even people who don't follow Razorback football, that don't know about this game. And that's going to either be at the game or at least watching it on TV. Now, uh, I really wanted to get your thoughts on the fan base because I know you're as plugged in as literally anybody out there on Razorback Nation. And, of course, Texas is coming in as the uh, favorites in the game. But uh, what's the sense you get from the fan base that is expecting a win while, you know, seemingly, you know, the, all the national media and uh, people across the country expect Texas to kind of come in here and just roll? Uh, what's the expectation level within that state that uh, Arkansas gets a win? And, and they probably appreciate the fact that they're the underdogs, if, if I had to guess. Well, it's funny because they are the underdogs all the time. Like every game last year, Arkansas was the underdog and they won four games. And I know that they'll say they won three, but they won four. We all know that Auburn was a victory game. So it's like the fact that they have that much of a, like just getting used to the fact that they are the underdogs all the time. That doesn't even phase Razorback fans anymore. Like they don't care because everyone's going to pick against them anyways. So why not? Why even look at it? So they're looking at it from the perspective of, Listen, we got a good chance to beat Texas because we had a couple good wins last year. Uh, we think Sam Pittman and his coaching staff's got us going in the right direction. Texas is a good team, but not in unbeatable. It doesn't seem like they are just this uh, this titan that you will not be able to take down. And it's in Fayetteville. It's in your backyard, and the atmosphere is definitely going to be as as lit as ever. So it's just 
all those things factoring into it, it seems like Razorback fans, even if they don't win, they know it's going to be a good game. They know it's going to be a close one, and they know that Sam Pittman's going to have his guys ready. So they're expecting to win. They want to win. But uh, since it's the second game of the season, it's always kind of hard to really make good predictions on what's going to happen in a game like that. How much do you think uh, last season not having full attendance, you know, maybe that plays an advantage for Arkansas uh, this in this game in particular because who knows how many of these Texas guys have even played in front of a full stadium on the road, and we know they're going to get that this weekend. Uh, I just, you know, I get this sense that we're underrating home field advantage this season, and I think we're really going to get that this weekend. Uh, are, would you buy into that narrative? I would. I would. I think that there is a lot to be said about that because even from the opposite side, Arkansas last week against Rice, they struggled in the first half a big time. And K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback, was definitely one of the reasons why they struggled. And uh, Sam Pittman, after the game, even chalked it up. He's like, hey, I I think that there was a lot of nerves. I think the crowd being there once again, you know, having a full – it wasn't full, but having a lot of fans there that are loud and, and energetic in the atmosphere, you get to have the band out there again. You get to run through the A again. He's like, it kind of got to a few of the guys. And so I think it's going to be the same on the opposite side where, you know, Texas, uh, not to say that, oh, man, they don't know anything about Arkansas until they come in here. It's like it's going to be a wild atmosphere, but I'll be curious to see maybe in the beginning of the game if the the crowd noise and the atmosphere doesn't get to Texas a little bit, which of course is what Arkansas wants. But yeah, I think I think a full stadium, which of course this game's going to break the attendance record for Arkansas for sure. Uh, I think that uh, all those things playing into this is going to have an impact either positively for Arkansas or negatively for Texas, one of the two. Now you hit on KJ Jefferson and his uh, struggles. He still scored three touchdowns and Interestingly enough, that was the uh, margin of victory there against Rice. But uh, do you think he bounces back? How much confidence do you have in that? And uh, what's it going to take? You know, you know, and not maybe not in stats or anything like that. But uh, is he going to need to play his best game to beat Texas? Do you think? I think so. I, I mean, Texas is a team that obviously is going to have a lot to do with their running attack, and you know that Bijan Robinson's really good down there, and. Uh, you know, the defensively, they got some talent there as well. But the X factor in this game is KJ Jefferson. And I do have faith. I know Razorback fans are still a little suspect and, you know, rightfully so. But I looked at it as and I looked at it as Kate from KJ Jefferson's perspective, as well as the rest of the Arkansas game against Rice perspective. In previous years at halftime, if they were down by three points or 10 points or a touchdown or whatever to an inferior opponent, they would have rolled over and died. They didn't do that in this game. They came back and won, scored 21, covered the spread, all of that. KJ was the biggest factor in all that, too. He was horrendous in the first half. But in the second half, he goes 8 of 10. He he rushes for touchdowns. He throws a touchdown pass. He got into the groove that everyone was hoping to see. So I look at it from, okay, that first half was not the character of or what we were going to see from KJ. The second half was. That was what we're supposed to see. That's the way he's supposed to play. And that's why I have a little more confidence heading into Texas because he saw it out on the field. He was able to play that way out on the field. And Sam Pittman and the coaching staff have all the you know, faith in the world in him to do it. So I look at it as he's going to be all right. He, that's the KJ Jefferson we saw in the second half. He knocked the cobwebs off. He got the nerves shaken out. Now he's ready to go into Texas. I can't believe I forgot to ask you this. I meant to start the show with it. But uh, over under – five targeting calls in this damn game where we don't get but we got we got to fix this damn penalty don't you think 
Dude, it's it's so bad, and it sucks because Bumper Pool, the star linebacker for Arkansas, is going to be out for the first half of this game because of uh, the game last week. Grant Morgan, luckily, his tar he got ejected for targeting last weekend too, but his was in the first half, so he won't miss this game. And I don't know if anyone knew this because I for- forgot about it. The other linebacker, Hayden Henry, sat out the first half against Rice because he got ejected for targeting in the second half against the Alabama game last year. So it's like, oh, so it carries over into the next year. So he had to sit out the first half because of that. I'm like, this is the stupidest <laughs> thing of all time. And it seems like everybody, every, everyone I've talked to, and even all the coaches and players, it's like they understand it that targeting is there and it needs to be there because it's protecting the players. But the punishment does not fit the crime. It just doesn't. Like I said on my show the other day that you could have a defensive lineman go up and stone cold stun the quarterback after he like threw the ball and you get the same punishment for that that you would in trying to make a football play like that just is is egregious. It does not make any sense whatsoever. So I'm like something needs to change. Something needs to be done about this rule and it needs to be done right now because the last thing you ever want to see for the rest of college football is games being won or lost not because of what's going on on the field, but because who's not on the field because of some guy just making, trying to make a football play. Now there's so much hype around the uh, Texas running back, Bijan Robinson, I think is his name. He seems legit, but do you think that provides any motivation to uh, Arkansas's Traylon Smith, who he looks like a hell of a running back too. And, you know, could, would it stun you if uh, by the end of the game, we're talking about uh, Arkansas having the better running back in this matchup? You know, I'm I'm hoping that is the case because Traylon Smith is a he's really good. I, I mean, he's got uh, a scat back mentality. He's he's small, but he's fast, and you know he hits the hole hard. He's not gonna you know ever stiff arm anybody or anything like that. He doesn't have a lot of power, but he runs really hard, and I think that that's uh, something that may even get popped up here. But I'm telling you right now, you everyone needs to take a look at Rocket Sanders, Raheem Rocket Sanders, number five for Arkansas. It looks a little weird seeing a number five running back back there, could not name Darren McFadden, but mm-hmm. the guy is a true freshman. He's 6'1, 235 pounds, and he runs with power and he's got speed. The coaching staff's been raving about him in this uh, fall camp, and he you got to see a little bit of him against Rice. And you kind of saw, okay, this this guy, if he breaks one, you know he's going to be gone. So I, I th- I'm just telling everybody to go watch watch out for this guy. I think that he has potential to be all SEC freshman when it's all said and done because he he has that skill set. And I think that if Traylon Smith can't get going against Texas, they'll be all right because Rocket Sanders will be able to pick up right where he left off. Now everybody's praising Steve Sarkeesian for being an outstanding play caller, which he is, but uh... – you know, let's not forget on the other side, he's going up against Barry Odom, who may be the best defensive coordinator in the nation. Do you, is this the coaching matchup that, that will determine the game? I know you called uh, K.J. Jefferson the X factor, but and I agree with that. But at the, at the same time, I think it, it really comes down to this the coaching battle here between Sarkeesian and Barry Odom. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, and first off, let me just say this, which I know people probably, especially if you're Texas fans or whatnot, will get mad, but Okay, Steve Sarkeesian, is he a great play caller? I'm going to give him credit. But the fact is, is it makes it a lot easier to play call when you're at USC and you're at Alabama and now you're at Texas. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it makes it a lot easier. So I'm not taking anything away from him. It's just the talent has to be there, too. <laughs> so uh, maybe he's got it at Texas. I don't know. But I just I always feel like, hey, listen, I, I respect more people like Barry Odom, who was like doing it at Missouri, right. where you're not getting five star elite talent 
than what you would with Steve Sarkeesian, where every stop he's had has been nothing but five-star talent. So, But going back to your question about the matchup and everything, I think that that is a case because Barry Odom, without a doubt, is the best assistant coach on this staff. And the fact that he turned down Texas and turned down LSU to stay at Arkansas for less money is insane. But it just shows how much he loves coaching with Sam Pittman. And I think Sam Pittman understands, too, that he's pivotal to this team's success. I think that as long as everyone's going to be healthy and, and the depth's going to be there, Arkansas and, and Barry Odom is going to do all right against Texas. Like, I don't see Texas score more than 35 points against Arkansas. And I, will that be enough to win the game? I don't know. But I don't see Texas just coming in and doing what they want to against Arkansas's defense. they got too much experience. they got a lot more depth. And they got Barry Odom, who – you know, every he's got certain matchups, man. Like he's got certain guys like against Lane Kiffin. He's always done really well um, against a Mike Leach offense. He's always done really well. And those are two of the reasons why Arkansas won those games last year against Ar- uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State is because of the defensive matchup. He understands them well. I think that Barry Odom is going to understand Steve Sarkeesian a lot more and have the matchups, know how to slow him down. Now it's going to be about executing it. But I like Barry Odom in this matchup because he always does a really good job against opposing offensive gurus, finding an exploitation of their weaknesses and making it happen for him. So I think that he's going to slow down this offense. All right, moment of truth, John, who you got in the matchup, Texas and Arkansas? Who's winning the game? I'm going to stick with my original prediction for the season. I got Arkansas winning this game. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a close one. I think it's going to be one that, uh, is frustrating maybe at times for Razorback fans to watch, but energetic. I think Arkansas wins this game 28 to 24. I, I think that you're you're going to have a little bit of a back and forth. I think Arkansas scores a late touchdown to put it away, and the defense for Arkansas keeps Texas from scoring, and they get out of there with the victory. They're two and zero, maybe a top 25 team. We'll see, but I think that this is going to be the game, the the stamp on Sam Pittman at Arkansas, where they're no longer just a cute little underdog story. They're actually a legitimate team in the SEC that people have to look out for. All right, I like that answer. And, uh, you know, final thing, when Arkansas does beat Texas, over under on uh, what time you're going to bed after you're partying all night uh, from that game? I don't think I'm going to go to bed uh, (laughs) at all. I think think it's going to be – I I mean, I may just – you know, go into Sunday, just kind of wandering the state of Arkansas, not knowing where I am, not knowing what's to happen. Hopefully I find my way home somehow, but it's, uh, it's going to be a celebration like no other. Cause here's the thing, Mike, Arkansas has had some big games like this, some atmospheric games. Like there's very few 2010 Bama comes to mind. 2004 Texas was another big one. Uh, they've had some big games like this, but the problem was, is Arkansas always lost those games. Like they have always lost them. If they finally win a game that has all the hype surrounding it, it's going to be mean that much more to the Razorback fans here in the state of Arkansas. Well, absolutely. I appreciate you hopping on the line, John. John Neighbors, host of the Out of Bounds Show on 103.7 The Buzz and the host of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. Thanks again, John. I really appreciate you. No problem, man. Appreciate you. All right, Shane, so I appreciate uh, John Neighbors <laughs> hopping on the line, and he's picking the Hogs to win. Now the question to you, who you got winning the game, Shane? <laughs> well, I tell you, Mike, I had Arkansas winning last week, and they, they had me scared there for a minute. They had me a little <laughs> worried, but they ended up not only winning but covering the spread. So 
Oh, man, I love the Razorbacks. Now, Texas, buddy, I'm telling you, Texas is a – I don't think they're a fifth, top 15 team. I, I'll tell you that. But I do think that they are a, an opponent that probably has a little bit more talent than mm-hmm. Arkansas. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying mm-hmm. it. But what they don't have, and it's something that, that Sam preaches constantly, is heart. Now, I know that sounds stupid and cliche, but this is a team that is doing it – for each other, and this is an important game. This is a championship game for them. I mean, there's a lot of fans that absolutely hate Texas, and that is, I guarantee, being pumped through that program. Texas is coming up here expecting to win. Arkansas wants to win. That's why I've got them winning, man. I just, I, I want, I kept wanting to pick Texas. I've been watching some some reels on Texas. I just, but I can't, man, because. As soon as you start doubting them Razorbacks, they they remind you of what they what Sam's created up there, and it's a, it's just a it's a family that is doing this together, and I I just I like them squeaking it out at the end. Twenty seven, Texas twenty four. Ooh, sure. I got them winning, baby. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. No, I like that. And you know, one thing that uh, I didn't hear you reference there, but also I think is going to play a factor. I think. When we get these uh, players and coaches after the game making their comments, mm-hmm. the crowd is going to be a factor in this game. Texas does not know what they're getting themselves into. The party has already started up there in Fayetteville. Oh, it's, already, uh, baby. it's Friday morning. Those people are hammered, drunk, I bet, <laughs> in, <laughs> you know, 72 hours before kickoff. I mean, it is going to be wild up there. I do not think – Texas has any idea what they're in store for. This rivalry means so much to the state of Arkansas. People have been asking me about this game for about six months now. Who's going to win it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm just kind of disturbed by the comments coming from Steve Sarkeesian. Well, yeah, I know it's a rivalry. I told my team it's just another game for us. Well, it's going to be a little, a lot different than that come Saturday yeah. night. Uh, and I think Arkansas – a little bit, you know, they, they came out so poorly in that Rice game. I think they mm-hmm. were, I think they kind of, maybe they were reading their press clippings and maybe they were looking ahead to Texas. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody in that state was worried about Rice or asking them about Rice or, or you know, the, everyone is just so geared up for this game and now it's here. And it means so much to this Arkansas fan base. And it, hell, it means a lot to this team. Because Mm -hmm. they do not have a lot of home games this year. They need this one desperately to have a good season. And uh, I think K.J. Jefferson bounces back. I got the same exact score, which terrifies me, Shane. (laughs) Arkansas, 27. (laughs) Texas, 24. And uh, thank goodness for all you Razorbacks. Neither one of us is locking this one up. Welcome to the SEC, Longhorns. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if they win this one, man, I want to get in that locker room with them because I want to hear them fire that damn jukebox, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final game, Shane. I saved the best for the last when it comes to SEC standings. First SEC game of the year. This one, this is another one I've had uh, circled on my calendar for months and months. Missouri mm-hmm. on the road at Kentucky. Wildcats favored by five and a half. Games at 7.30 Eastern on SEC Network. Let's kick it over to our interview with Nate Edwards of Rock M Nation. All right, we're pleased to uh, once again be joined by the great Nate Edwards, writer and editor for Rock M Nation. You can follow Nate 
at Nate G. Edwards on the Twitter machine. And he's the host of the Before the Box Score on the Rock M Nation podcast. Nate, thanks so much for joining me once again. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to be back, man. I'm a repeat offender. This is fun. <laughs> so, you know, the big game of the week, obviously, we're going to get uh, all over this Kentucky-Missouri matchup. But before we get to that, really wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Steve Wilkes and uh, his debut there with Missouri. What did you think of uh, the Tigers' new defense? It's a, it's a work in progress. You know, you, you, you don't change a, a DC and a scheme uh, in one season and, and immediately, you know, kind of pick up where you left off. It's, it's still a four, two, five, obviously the guys on the field are a little bit different, but you know, Hey, a DC calls a game a little bit differently. The, the, the flow is a little bit different. His aggression's a little bit different. Uh, and he likes to call actual plays instead of Ryan Walters calling single high safety cover one every single game. So, um, it, it was, it was an interesting debut. It's a work in progress. I'm going to give him credit though. I know a lot of NFL coaches tend to get labeled with, you know, all oh, they don't, they don't adapt, they don't change. And he saw that his zone coverage was not working in that first half. And he, he changed it up. He went back to man. He knew it meant that his corners were going to get burned a little bit, but he also knew he couldn't stick with the zone trying to get a four man pass rush. And he started blitzing and he started using man and he clamped down on those receivers. Khalil Pimpleton, I know he's he's a Mac receiver. He's a great receiver. He had one catch on 10 targets and literally did nothing. Um, so it was very impressive to see them key in uh, on the passing game and take that away from Jacob Sermon, who's a dangerous passer. Um, defensive lines are work in progress. Uh, that's something that Wilkes needs to work on, and he admitted he admitted as much uh, yesterday, but um, overall, I was impressed that he could adapt, uh, that he could change, and he could address the issues and get his guys to to execute towards the end. And uh, I think it's going to be a rough season as they get their feet under him. But uh, I am pleased with the hire so far. Yeah, and I know on your podcast uh, you mentioned this, but uh, it was interesting that their use of defensive backs in the opener. You know, they've got these two guys from Tulsa that, uh, by all accounts, you know, legit NFL prospects and. Um, for whatever reason, they didn't really start the game out. Do you think that, uh, you know, they'll rotate? How do you think they'll do that defensive back rotation this week for Kentucky? Well, I mean, we saw Kentucky throw it all over the field uh, last Saturday. Looking at Central Michigan, you know, the 2020 version of the Chippewas was very, very conservative, ground-oriented, threw a little, but not a lot. And there's a couple of ways you could look at the rotation here. Yes, once again, Ish Burdine and Enos Rakestra are listed as or starters with Allie Green and, and Caleb Evans, kind of the, the second slot or the, the other pairing of that or. Um, but there is a chance that Wilkes thought they were going to see a lot more uh, rushing and wanted to get kind of his 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 tacklers in there on the, on the corners. Uh, and then they realized that they weren't going to do that. And then rotated in uh, at least to Caleb Evans. Allie Green only saw 22 snaps, most of them obvious passing down situations. So that might just be it. That might just be, hey, you know, if we're seeing a lot of passing, Evans and Green come in. If there's more rushing or we want to attack the ground, the ground attack a little bit more, we're going to bring in Burdine and Rakestraw. Um, the point is, is that regardless of who is starting, it's always going to be snap counts at the end. And at the end of the Central Michigan game, a Caleb Evans and Enos Rakestraw where you're clear one and two with a bullet. Ish Burdine, Chris Abrams-Drain, uh, and Allie Green were kind of behind there as well. So 
it's it's those things man like coaches don't make the depth charts you know it's usually an sid who puts that thing together mm -hmm. and i don't think anyone's really looking too close at it so they might <laughs> not care what we think as fans um but you're gonna see who the favorites are in the pecking order based off of playing time and if that's the case it is going to be evans and rickstraw what were your thoughts on uh, connor Bazelak in his uh, first game of this season you know, he comes right out hits the deep shot and I was thinking, oh, my God, here my Mizzou mentioned is it going to be wild here after <laughs> I was so down on Basilac. But then after, you know, basically the opening drive, I mean, it's not like he played completely poorly, but, uh, you know, kind of more of the same what I saw last season, really struggled to hit that downfield passing game, which at times was there for him. Uh, what was your thoughts on, on Connor Basilac? I, I thought it was fine. I, I kind of anticipated him picking up where he left off. Uh, in my preview, I assumed he'd probably go, you know, 65, 67% completion rating with, I, I wanted to see a 7.5 yards per attempt. He actually ended up at 7.6 and he ended at 65.6% .6 completion. That's, that's fine. That's bumping up your yards per attempt from last year by 0.6 yards. That's keeping your accuracy, which he was really, really good last year. I didn't think we were going to see a lot because I didn't think Missouri coaches wanted to show a lot. And I, I was with you when they opened up with the deep bomb. I was like, all right, <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's go. Um, but then he only really tried three others after, after that two to Dominic Lovett and another one to, to Boo Smith. And they were, you know, just tips of the fingers, just out of reach. Uh, one was over, just the wrong shoulder that, that Lovett was looking over. So it's stuff that you got to iron out. Obviously, you know, week one, you're all game one, you're trying to figure it out. Clearly Kentucky didn't have that problem last week. I know that, but uh, Bazelak was not willing to go deep last year and he showed that he would uh, at least in the first game. So that's improvement. Uh, now we just need to get the, get the timing down a little bit, get the hands on a little bit more, but overall I don't expect, you know, Bays to be throwing 340 yards a game. I expect him to put up, you know, about 250. Uh, he had a couple touchdowns, you know, let's do that again. And just, have have a passing game that complements the running game. I think that's what Eli Drinkwitz wants in his offense, and that's certainly what we saw on Saturday. Any concern that uh, Missouri was one for eleven on on third down, and obviously that's very poor. But uh, do you think they can get that corrected here heading into this game? Well, they need to. <laughs> they absolutely need to. Here's the thing: um, looking looking at the third downs, one for eleven is bad. That, that's really bad. At the same time, most of their plays came on first and second down. That you know they were they were able to stay within the chains for the most part. Uh, if they got into third down, they were in trouble. Sure, that's not great, but you know their average yards to go on third down was eleven point two yards. Uh, if if they had anything under nine, they completed it, and the only one they had under nine was a three yard uh, third down that they converted. So no, you don't you don't get to win a bunch of games in the SEC by having a nine percent third down conversion rate. At the same time, you're not going to see an average of 11.2 yards on your third down every single week. Mm -hmm. uh, some of that is going to change. Now, some of that might be because of play design and like the drop deep balls, sure. Um, but, you know, at, at some point that's going to even out. If that's a situation where we, we play Kentucky and we see, oh, we're, we're in third and 12, third and 14 again, that's something that needs to be addressed I'm chalking that up to week one jitters and please don't ask me about it again. Thank you. <laughs> well, with, uh, on the last episode, we had Sean Smith of uh, Kentucky daily and he just, uh, you know, really emphasized what a critical game this is for Kentucky. 
which is it's kind of weird that it's week two and it's such a big game. But uh, mm-hmm. do you sense that same magnitude of this game for the Missouri Tigers in their season? Well, I, you know, every every game in the SEC is important. That's the cliche. But really, you know, Missouri and Kentucky are peer programs, and and Kentucky, to me, I'm obviously I'm not I don't have my my finger on the on the pulse of Lexington football, but it kind of seems to me that Kentucky is operating at full steam. This is it, right? Like you get double digit wins every couple of years, rebuild and get back to that point. I think they are, they are fully functional weaponized Kentucky Wildcat football. And that program is what Missouri is trying to be. So yes, we are, I think historical peers, but right now I think Kentucky is a little bit higher in the pecking order. Eli Drinkwitz is building towards what Mark Stoops has. So it is really important to beat what Mark Stoops has to continue that journey. I do think it's important to them. I know that uh, Drinkwitz went on the on his uh, conference call yesterday and said that this team was not prepared uh, to win a game on the road in the SEC. And that was a direct challenge to his players, but also just a reminder to the fans, hey, we are a work in progress. This is this is not even year two. This is game two of, of their second season here. This is game 12 of his tenure. These games are important without a doubt, but this team is a work in progress. They're going to give it their all and they're, they're going to try and hang tough. But, you know, if you're wondering like, oh, does this mean that they're going to win? Hmm. Probably not. It means that they're going to give max effort because it's important, but uh, we're not really looking at wins here on the field all the time. We are looking more of wins as far as development, uh, culture building, and uh, the scheme on the field and making sure kids can understand it. Now, I'm not sure if you saw this stat floating out this week, but um, during the uh, Mark Stoops era, the Kentucky-Missouri game, and I think this is eight or nine, the, the score of those games combined, 177 Kentucky, 177 Missouri. So <laughs> I, I'm not a huge believer in, uh, you know, what's happened in the past ne- necessarily correlates to what we're about to see. But assuming that we do get a tight game here, do you think that uh, Missouri has the edge in coaching? When you when you talk about Drinkwitz and uh, he seems to to do really well in these uh, one score ball games. Yeah, I, you know, I, I talked about this in, in my previous series. Uh, for Eli Drinkwitz as a head coach, which again, remind you, one year at App State, one year at Mizzou, and now the 2021 season, uh, the dude is six and one in one score games. Uh, the one loss was, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was App State. It was like Georgia Southern, I think, is they lost 24 21 at App State. But um, he is he is very good in those situations. And when you are talking about teams or coaches that are good in close games you're looking at good game management you're looking at great quarterback play and you're looking at elite special teams and missouri for the past two years has had elite special teams with harrison mevis uh, our big beautiful thicker uh and then grant mckinnis who used to play for kentucky Mm-hmm. now plays for Mizzou, has never lost the Kentucky-Missouri game, by the way, 60-year <laughs> senior, so we'll see if that holds true. Uh, but he is a punting monster. And Bay's like, I know, I know there, there's detractors. The touchdowns aren't great. He doesn't throw a great deep ball. And at the same time, he manages the game very well. He makes good decisions when throwing the ball. So I'm going to say, yes, I until proven otherwise, Eli Drinkwitz has my seal of approval for close game magic, and everything that goes into it. Uh, and yeah, he's going to lose a few here and there, but he has shown with an outgun team for, you know, 11 games now 
then he can he can succeed and thrive in close game situations. So if they keep it close in the fourth quarter, you bet I'm going to feel confident that he can pull it out until again again proven otherwise. I'm interested to hear your reaction. Uh, I don't know if you heard these comments or not, but Mark Stoops flat out this week said, you know, we got out coached by Missouri mm-hmm. and he vowed that that won't happen again this season. So uh, I don't know. I'm just curious to what are your reaction to hearing Mark Stoops uh, make such a bold statement like that? Oh, uh, yeah, he did get out coached because he ran 36 plays last year, four yards per play. Um, like, that was not good. Uh, <laughs> I think Missouri put up 423 on him. Kentucky had 152. Uh, they attempted like eight passes last year between Terry Wilson and Joey Gatewood. And Chris Rodriguez was good, but it wasn't enough. And, and so, yeah, I would say, you know, maybe it was coaching. At the same time, how much coaching can be done to stop a 20 play drive? <laughs> like at some point, like it's just like they're on a roll and there's not much you can do about it. Um, if that's the case, and I know they were having some issues, like the coaches were having some issues at this time last year. So that, that, that's not great. Uh, that certainly takes your head out of the game. Um, if he thinks that he was out coached, sure. I believe him that he's paid to do this job and I'm sure he is very, he knows very much when he has been outdone. Um, Eli Drinkwitz, like I said, is, I think he's a good tactician. I think he's a good game manager. I don't think there's any shame in being out coached by by Drinkwitz. Um, but you know, Stoops does have a better team. I mean, he does certainly has a better program. Um, so if he is, if he is dialed in and he's ready to win because he wants to avenge last year's embarrassment. Well, okay. <laughs> you should want to win all games anyway. I don't, I, I, that's fine. Uh, I hope he doesn't, but I certainly understand the sentiment. So if Missouri does go on the road and beats Kentucky in Lexington, what's the recipe uh, for that, uh, I don't know if you want to call it an upset, but just what's the recipe for that? Yeah, uh, Missouri staying within standard downs. So, you know, that's, you know, second and eight and shorter or third and fourth down and four shorter, you know, keeping it very manageable, no turnovers, winning the special teams, those hidden yardage, you know, winning the field position battle uh, and probably one or two turnovers and none on their side. Um, it's not It's not flashy. It's certainly not like you know, the, the the most fun brand of football to, to watch, but all season, it's just, just get the W's where you can. And Missouri is going to try and just kind of grind it out and make, make the right choice and, and try and get some turnovers on defense. And that's all very, very cliche stuff, but it's true. That's how you, that's how you win in the sec. And that's certainly how you win uh, when you are at a, at a disadvantage on the road against a very good program. You think the, uh, you know, I know they don't go head to head, so it's it's kind of weird when we make these head to head comparisons. But Chris Rodriguez and uh, Tyler Beatty, maybe uh, I don't know if you can get a better combo of running back in an SEC game going head to head. Which mm-hmm. which running back do you think has a bigger game here on Saturday? Ooh, well, obviously I love me some Tyler Beatty. Like I th- I think he's a great back, and uh, he showed last week that. We had our doubts of whether he could be the primary running back. And whew, he answered those questions with an affirmative. Yep, I can. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he doesn't get to run against the Missouri defensive front. And Chris Rodriguez does. And, you know, we saw a couple of younger guys on the line show out and really show some disruption, which was needed. Um, 
but that interior of that line was getting washed out like from for at least for eight plays for sure and, and certainly um, even more than that and our linebackers love to make things go boom but also can get a little aggressive and over pursuit so uh, if i had to guess i'm going to say chris rodriguez has a better game um, that would probably mean that kentucky wins i don't know but uh, just based off of the offensive line that the Wildcats have and the uh, <clears throat> inconsistencies that the de- Missouri defensive line has had, uh, I would say Rodriguez is going to have uh, probably out-duel Beatty this time. All right, last thing for you, Nate. I can't let you go without uh, making a prediction. Who wins this game? <sighs> oh, God. I'm going to say Kentucky wins the game. I think it's going to be close. I certainly think it's going to be close. I, I, you know, I'm, I can be gloriously wrong in these situations, but I think – the state of Kentucky right now, the state of Missouri right now, as far as programs go, the quality of the team, Drinkwitz is closing the gap, but it's not there yet. It's on the road in Lexington. This will be the first time Drinkwitz has played on the road in the SEC as an SEC coach. There's a lot of young guys on this team. This is going to be the first home game for Kentucky for a while. They're going to be amped. They want to beat us. I think there's a lot of factors that are going against Missouri right now. Uh, I think they play it tough, and I think they lose. I'm going to say 31-24 Kentucky. And well, oh, sorry, one more thing: if Missouri does win this game, is there any debate that they're a better football program, considering that they beat Kentucky two back-to-back years and, and drink with first two seasons there? Uh, no, uh, I mean, lesser teams beat greater teams all the time. That's that's the magic of, of college football. I don't, I don't think anybody who follows these programs are going to say, well, this one game certainly means that the the build mm-hmm. over the past five years is completely null and void and Kentucky now sucks and Missouri is awesome. Um, I think, you know, for this year and, and maybe even next year, Kentucky is primed to be the three, the number three uh, team in the SEC East. That, that kind of, that comes across as like <laughs> the realistic goal for teams not named Florida and Georgia mm-hmm. uh, to be the number three in the SEC, which is fine. Um, hey, maybe even Kentucky beats Florida and they become number two this year. I don't know. I, I think they could. Um, but if Missouri beats Kentucky, that's not a ramification on everything else that's happened before and what can happen going forward. It just means Missouri was the better team that day. Uh, if they played 10 times, I would say Kentucky wins six or seven of those, uh, at least this version of that. And I, I hope this is one of the three or four times that Missouri wins. Um, but Missouri is getting there. Missouri is building to what to towards what Kentucky is. Uh, I don't think we're there yet, but um, Saturday, we, like I said, would go a long way in, in getting us to that goal. All right. He's Nate Edwards. Check him out at uh, Nate G Edwards and all his work. He's a writer and editor for Rock M Nation. And I love his Missouri podcast before the box score. That's via the Rock M Nation podcast. Nate, I really do appreciate you joining the show once again and dropping so much uh, Mizzou knowledge on us. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to the next time. All right, Shane. So Nate is picking them Wildcats. Who do you Mm. like in the matchup? That's the bigger question. (laughs) You just lost a few followers. No, just kidding. kidding. Great interview, Mike. Um, I I will say this. This is – this game is always tough to pick. We've, we've talked about it. I mean, we talked about it earlier, the stats with Stoops. It's even from the day that he joined every year that they've played. You look at the points for and points against, it's deadlocked. Mm-hmm. That's how close these games usually are. And I don't expect this one to be any different. The only problem, Mike, is 
When you got a close game, for me, I always like to look at the line because I think it comes down to the trenches with this one. Now, granted, you know, Mizzou had its way last week running the ball. I don't think they had that this week. I think some one of the part of the line that people aren't talking about is Kentucky's defensive front. They're loaded, man. They're big, nasty, and they're going to be able to slow down this running game. And I think that's going to make what Eli's trying to do a little harder. So, without further ado, Mike, I, I think it comes down to the wire, but in the fourth quarter, I just think Kentucky's new – found quarterback, newfound offense, comes away with the victory. Give me Kentucky Wildcats, 35, Mizzou, 24. High-scoring game. Ooh. Yeah, Shane, I like a lot of what you said. And, um, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting. I know it was ULM, but uh, it certainly seemed like Kentucky was on a mission to put it out there on film that uh, they can throw the ball. And they've got mm-hmm. weapons to push down the field. Because now that we're getting into SEC play, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that uh, Will Levis is, you know, he's going to get shut down or anything. But I think now that we're going into a critical game here, I think we go back to Kentucky's bread and butter. I think this is going to be a Chris Rodriguez all day, all mm-hmm. night for that Missouri defense that was, uh, you know, having issues defending Central Michigan on the ground. So. It's all about Chris Rodriguez pounding that rock, getting Missouri to mm-hmm. kind of suck up, Missouri to force men into the box to try to slow down this running attack, and that's when uh, Levis will hit him over the top. So I think it's kind of a reverse of what we saw in ULM game, but mm-hmm. I like the Kentucky Wildcats. Again, We similar to the Arkansas game, I think this is going to be a very rowdy crowd up there in Lexington. Uh, probably another mm-hmm. sellout crowd. How does Missouri handle that? They were not very effective on the road last season. And it, I'm a little disturbed that I'm hearing, I don't know if you want to call it excuses, but uh, Drinkwitz, very clear that uh, Mark Stoops and his program much further along than his Tigers program. Maybe he's just trying to do the little bait and switch like he did last season. But <laughs> it's very interesting that he's making those comments to me. Uh, I think – Kentucky has the edge here, particularly on that line of scrimmage, as you noted. Uh, That'll be key to the game, protecting Will Levis when they do take those shots because that Missouri defense, they were all over the uh, Central Michigan quarterback, I believe nine sacks last season. That'll be Mm -hmm. key to the game, forcing turnovers, getting to the quarterback. But at the end of the day, I think Kentucky is prepared for this one. I think, uh, you know, they have had this one circled for a all off season lock of the week, Shane, Kentucky, Oh, 30, Missouri, 21, the Wildcats get the first sec win of the season. The only way I'm locking this one down is if I find out Cavassier smokes got some special gloves. (laughs) So he can't drop that damn ball. Well, Shade, oh, I mean, I we are it. loaded up here on Saturday. It is going to be fantastic watching all this football. I cannot wait. Absolutely, man. I can't either. And if we didn't talk about your team, it's just we shouldn't because you should just take care of business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of that, we do have a couple games here. There was no spreads for these games. Alabama State at Auburn. Uh, things to watch mm-hmm. out there. In my opinion, I want to see Auburn's defense – uh, I want to see a shutout here, Shane. I, I demand it. From <laughs> that's when you're playing in Alabama State and you're Auburn, that's got to be a shutout, don't you think? 
Oh, for sure. And I think you're creating momentum and and confidence with this young team. I, I think that's what they need coming into SEC play. So I'm with I'm with you. Another blowout. Mercer at Alabama. Again, no line for this one. What I'll have my eye on chain. I want to see how damn mad Nick Saban gets on the sidelines because I I feel like <laughs> something's gonna happen to where uh, you know, maybe maybe there's gloating or maybe there's a big play given up or something. But uh, I, he, he seems like he's about to go nuclear, doesn't he? Yeah, and I, I think zero points again. I think if, <laughs> unless they don't want Mercer to get across a 50. So Austin P at Ole Miss. Again, no line for this one, Shane. What I'll have my eye on. I want to see this uh, Ole Miss defense if they keep that edge. Uh, because they were just mm-hmm. outstanding there against Louisville in the first half. They they didn't necessarily keep that for the second half where they just jacked up for the season opener. Or is this a, right. a defense that is, uh, you know, here to stay to, to complement this offense? So that'll be the biggest thing I have my eye on in Oxford this weekend. Oh, me, Matt Corral. This is one of those games when you had NCAA, you just cranked up <laughs> just so you could make a, a Heisman run. Uh, you, you got Katy Perry out here tweeting about you boys. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this needs to be a high dose of offense early in the game. You know, just pad some numbers, baby. Right. And last one here, Shane, again, no line for this one. McNeese at LSU. Man, after last season or last weekend's uh, disappointing loss, I need to see mm-hmm. LSU – go run wild on this team they could not run the ball against ucla they've got offensive linemen out for this matchup if we cannot run the ball against mcneese we the red flags need to start being waved here uh we'll have major major issues if the tigers cannot run all over mcneese yeah, oh, Coach O needs to put the tender machine down and focus <laughs> on McNeese State. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I think uh, – I feel bad for him, man. I think Coach O's been focused on this all week. He's got to get it right, and it's going to be a, just a barn burner. It's, it's not going to be a game at all. All right, Shane, anything else before we uh, hop off the line? No, man. I'm pumped up for another Saturday of football, man. It's going to start early here at the house, and uh, we're going to be smoking some ribs and drinking beer all day long, baby. Hey, sounds great to me, Shane. So I just want to say thanks to everybody for hopping on the line, and uh, thank you, Shane, for joining me as always. Catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.